0: Angelic amphibians out there! Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, sustainability, and conservation. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the Frog Tabulous, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you?
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm so much better now that we've started (laughs) off by making up words.
0: Yes, that's the mood I'm in right now. We're we're gonna go a little. I mean, we're talking about frogs this week, so I don't know. Spoiler alert, everybody! Spoilers. You clicked on an episode. You saw the title. You (laughs) know what's going on. Sarah, how are you this week?
1: You know, I'm having one of those weeks where like literally I only work four days a week. So I work four tens, which is great. Today's only my third day, but everything in me feels like it was my fourth day. Like I just don't know how I'm going to make it through one more day. <laughs> everything's fine it's just you know you ever have one of those weeks where it's just like you can't you're just so drained
0: yes that's (laughs) That's where
1: I'm at right now
0: well uh I hope that this the next day goes quickly and smoothly and easily for you and you find that last the second wind to get you through to your weekend
1: me too me
0: too how are you what's up with you oh I I mean all the same things it's my birthday it's your birthday Started
1: <laughs> recording if if I could share that fun fact, but I yeah, forgot, I mean, so I'm glad you did.
0: I feel like if you're gonna ask me how my week goes, and I'm like, oh nothing's happening like on my literal birthday, then it's just like <laughs> I don't know, but uh, you might do that. You're not a big birthday person. I'm not a huge birthday person, but like it's my birthday, so Yay! um, so yeah, there's lots of little little things, and um it's been nice to just hear from people, just you know, saying hi, happy birthday, and uh just being in touch with friends so that I don't get to talk to you on a regular basis. So that's the nice thing about birthdays. You'll hear yes. from random people who are just like, I thought of you today and I hope you have a good day. So
1: yeah, that yeah. is nice. And I really appreciate you spending your birthday evening hanging out with me too.
0: Of course. I was like, Mom, we have to move our birthday dinner have oh to <laughs> But that's okay. Cause I I like doing this. It's not yeah. wasn't it wasn't a big uh hassle or anything like that. But uh yeah. So sorry, for, Casey's mom. Oh, she's fine too. We made it work. She made me a delicious Boston cream pie, which Ooh, is okay. like yeah, it's it was the best possible. So so that's exciting. Sarah, did you do your challenge for the week?
1: No. <laughs> I didn't do the challenge specifically that you had laid out in terms of looking into the American Lung Association. I really meant to. I just didn't. However, other things happened related to what we were talking about. First, I will say I did look at my air quality a couple of times, like we talked about. I, I both looked from my weather thing on my phone but i ended up doing a search and pulling up another like air quality index site because mine just i think was just giving me the number for ozone like air quality in terms okay. of ozone and i found uh, the site that gave me an overall number and then actually broke it down into different types of air pollution that we talked about so i thought that was really cool um, so i did look into that And then literally the day after we recorded our air pollution episode, I got an email from one of the conservation organizations that I subscribe to with a call to action to voice your opinion on the EPA's Good Neighbor Plan, which has to do with interstate air pollution. What? Yeah, like exactly what you were talking about in terms of the challenges with policy and regulation on air pollution, where some areas might be doing the things that they need to do, but they're getting basically downwind air pollution from other states. And so this plan is looking at how to sort of regulate a a certain number of states who are impacting the air quality of other states. And it gave me a link and the organization that I was doing this through had like a set kind of email that you could look at and edit, post your comments. And I believe you can do this through, like, you don't have to belong to that organization. This is a public thing that anyone can do. And we can post the link in uh, on our Facebook page as well. Um, But I believe it is through June 21st that you can look at it. Oh, did you find it? Good. Yes. I have have a million windows open. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so you can read through the, it's... (laughs) The actual sort of document I think I looked at was about 180 pages or so. I did not read that entire 180 pages, but you can look through and there are summaries available and things like that as well. So I thought that that was so cool that that popped up right after we had just talked about it. Um, And yeah, that's that's something. So I I did that and and, uh, submitted a, a comment and... Um, And you can do so yourself for the next couple of weeks here.
0: You did your good deed for the week. That is more homework than really like I could have even dreamed of. So yeah, it (laughs) looks like this rule is going to establish limitations for nitrogen oxide, which we Mm -hmm. discussed can turn into ground level ozone smog. So uh, yeah, check that out. And I'm going to keep that window open. So I remember to comment too. And the, yeah, the government's required to listen, be open for comment. Um, sometimes when you see really specialized laws, they're really looking for people who are specialized, but we all breathe air. So we are very like, you know, uh, impacted by these laws and they want to know what the public thinks. So it is worth taking your time to comment. Thanks for sharing that Sarah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for raising the awareness on it with me. I don't know if, you know, it's one of those things where would that email have necessarily caught my attention if we hadn't just talked about it. So Uh, We are going to be talking about frogs tonight, like we said, but Casey, my question for you, this is going to pertain to uh, what we're talking about tonight, but what is your favorite animal sound?
0: I mean, like this is not a great answer, but it's um, when my dog is sleeping and she has a dream. Oh yeah. <laughs> makes noises. Cause my dog doesn't really bark. Like when she's awake, I want to say in real life, but it's all real <laughs> life. But like when she's awake, she's not a barker. Like sometimes she'll, she'll whine. And if she wants to play, she'll bark a little bit, but she barks way more in her dreams. And it is the cutest little oh. like half bark yeah. that yes. you ever did her here. Like Oh, so that is my favorite animal noise. No, that's such a good answer. answer. I love
1: it. Murray, I would say is very similar to that. He does not bark often, but he does this little, yeah, like half barks in his sleep. And mm-hmm. then he runs.
0: He runs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You see the little toes <laughs> yes. and the little muscle twitch. So oh, yes.
1: It's the cutest thing. That's a fantastic answer. My, my answer has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight either. And But it, it did make me realize what a cat person I am, though, because the three things that immediately popped into mind for me were cats purring. Like, yeah, there's just no better, like more comforting sound. And, you know, my cat passed away almost a year ago already, which is unbelievable to think about. And I like I still remember his specific purr, um, super comforting sound. Uh, tiger chuffs. Mm-hmm. If anybody who's ever worked with tigers or been around tigers, it's kind of just their hello. Tigers don't purr, but they do this. It's almost just like pushing air out through their mouths, but it's just, it's lovely if you've ever had the pleasure of having a tiger chuff at you uh, and lion roars, of course, just so majestic mm-hmm. and powerful and it never gets old, no matter how many times you hear it. So those, those were the three things. And I was like, man, I need to get off my, uh get off my cat bias, get off my mammal bias here and, uh, and branch out a little bit. So we're going to be talking about some amphibians tonight with our frogs. We're going to be talking about the sounds frogs make and how we can use that to help contribute to science. So stick around for that. All right, welcome everyone to our conversation tonight. My dog just came out of the bedroom and is staring at me and he's like, what do you mean? Your top three favorite sounds are cat (laughs) noises, excuse me. Uh, Sorry, buddy, you just don't make very much noise. Uh, But we are gonna be talking about frogs. We're gonna be talking about the sounds frogs make tonight because that is a really cool way that we can actually all get involved in conservation and learn some more about frogs. So we're kind of specifically going to be talking about citizen science, or you might hear this called community-based science now as well, um, in terms of frogs and identifying frogs that might live near you. So before we jump into this actual citizen science component, I want to talk about frogs really quickly and why we should care about frogs. Casey, we know that your fiance, Andrew, is a reptile guy. He's a herper. He's into frogs. Are you a frog person, amphibian person? What, what's your relationship like with frogs?
0: Yes. I mean, certainly not to the extent that he is, um, but like I, so we have frogs like as pets we have salamanders as pets so we've got amphibians in our house but um i was thinking about it and frogs were actually like a pretty formative wildlife experience for me when i was a kid because my grandparents had a big pond and oh, yeah. so we got to see the tadpoles there were frogs everywhere sorry megan my sister used to catch frogs and kiss them just for the (laughs) growth factor um (laughs) um, and so now that we like live with my dad and we're in that house that my grandparents were in andrew like will be out at night like i'm gonna go catch bullfrogs because it is a like symphony out there like Bullfrogs, green frogs, leopard frogs are all going um, up the road. You have some spring peepers like it is it's some toads. I saw one the other day. I scared them when they jump into the water. They go. Yeah. <laughs> and it, That's a, a fun sound, too. So uh, so I like frogs. I don't necessarily like I don't like catching them because I always feel like I'm going to squish them. But I have caught frogs. Um, I, I think they're cool
1: that's awesome. You, are, I can already tell, I have a game for Casey to play later, which, and y'all listening can play along too, but I can already tell Casey that you, you're going to ace, this game, then you you don't need it. It's not gonna be much of a challenge for you based on what you just said. But uh yeah, I would not have considered myself to be somebody who's super passionate about frogs. Although, as you were talking, I did remember that when I was a kid, we lived next door to a church when I was younger that had a basement with those big window wells. And I remember my brother and I would go over there sometimes and there would be toads. So, so we would go and so catch cool. toads in the window wells. And it was really cool. Yeah. I did, I did like that. But then I was going to say a few years ago, my gosh, it was over 10 years ago. Now I lived in Southwest Florida and I had the opportunity to participate in a citizen science program through, it was called the Southwest Florida Amphibian Monitoring Network, I think, where we would go out and listen for frog sounds. And so I did that and Through doing that, I just got a little bit of a better appreciation for frogs and toads. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. I do think that frogs are really cool, and I think that they get a little bit of a bad rap sometimes, you know, through doing this podcast. I've had several people tell me that one of the things that they do now uh, after listening to our podcast is they're so much more aware of the birds around them. We've had several episodes of birds on birds, right? Yes. Which is, so that's awesome. We love that people are paying more attention. And I want to make the case for if you're getting into birds, frogs should be your next thing, right? So birds, I think just because they're soft and they're, you know, they have the pretty colors and all of that. They're not mammals, but they've got feathers. So I think, you they know, people, fly. They, people feel pretty positively about birds, frogs like birds. There's a lot of different species, not as many. And I couldn't really find an exact number. Honestly, I was seeing numbers for anywhere from like 4,000 to 8,000 species of frogs and toads. And I think it probably depends a little bit both on when the number came from and how exactly they were grouping uh, those frogs and toads together, but maybe around 7,000 or so different species of, of frogs and toads. They are everywhere. They're on every continent except Antarctica. So no matter where you live, just like birds... You've got frogs around you, and they make lots of cool sounds, just like birds. You can identify these birds based on their calls. You can identify frogs based on their calls as well. I think the disadvantages that frogs have are that, yes, okay, they don't have fur. They don't have feathers. And while your birds might be more active during the day, frogs in general are going to be more active at night. So they're harder to see, maybe, Uh, And maybe, according to some people, aren't as pretty as birds. But I think they have some of those same accessibility perks as birds do. And they're really cool. They're really important animals.
0: I feel like also, like, we might not think about it, but, like, when I was a kid, maybe this is, like, a story no one relates to, but, like, my cousin Sam and I were really, like, you know, into nature. And he was, like, I remember being into poison dart frogs. Like, they were Mm -hmm. little, little, like, figurines of poison dart frogs that you could get yeah. and like the red-eyed tr- tree frog yep. it's like a very big symbol of the rainforest so like they're out there we actually do use them as ambassador species
1: there's so many cool ones i um got to see glass frogs when i oh, was cool. in honduras yeah and they are they're called glass frogs because they're see-through uh, especially like on their bellies not on their but like yeah. you can literally see inside their bodies what How cool is that? Yeah, so there's so many different kinds. They're super important, uh, both as predators and prey species. So they're really important for the ecosystem. They're also important for the environment as uh, indicator species, which I think we've talked about before. Um, They are really sensitive to changes in the environment. So us kind of knowing what frog populations are doing can help us to know how the environment (laughs) is doing as well, uh, which plays into what we're gonna be talking about today. They also have other cool adaptations. I mean, they can freaking breathe through their skin. Just think about that for a minute. So I I don't know, I think frogs are pretty awesome. And I think what we're gonna talk about tonight is a way that folks can hopefully get excited about them as well. So uh, why should we care? frogs amphibians in general like a lot of species are are having some challenges estimates are that about a third of amphibian species are at risk of extinction what's causing it lots of different things habitat loss and degradation again frogs and toads are really sensitive in part like we just said they do breathe through their skin so they're going to be sensitive to pollutants that are in the environment so things like Pesticide use and runoff, which we've talked about before. Construction of buildings, drying out their habitat, having to cross roadways. Any of you listening of a certain age out there that have ever played the video game Frogger
0: before? Have you ever played Frogger <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I, uh, mean, I feel like I didn't... Played as a kid, but like as oh. an adult in like those nostalgia, like yeah. arcade bars, I have played Frogger yeah. before.
1: Well, it's a real thing for crossing roads is not great. For frogs, so no, that can be uh, that can be a struggle for them as well. And then, of course, the changing climate can be a challenge. Amphibians do need access to water; uh, that's where they're going to lay their eggs and things like that. Climate change, among many other issues, can cause uh, droughts and things like that that can impact them. There's also a disease, the chytrid fungus, that has been hugely negatively impacting frogs populations as well. So there's lots of reasons for decline in population. All of that to say that it's important for us to be studying and monitoring and seeing what these populations can do. I think when both when we've talked about birds and when we've talked about insects, we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges of studying populations like this, especially when there's so many and they're so spread out it's a hard task and simply monitoring in one location isn't going to give you sort of the overall big picture. So one of the ways that every single one of us listening can help is by getting involved through citizen science. And this is exactly what it sounds like. This is just folks like you and me who are not necessarily scientists by trade uh, getting involved with projects in whatever way we can. Um, So here in the United States for frogs in particular, we have a program called Frog Watch USA. I'm going to tell you right now before we get too far into it that it does look like this program, this Frog Watch USA is uh, a program that is run through the AZA, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, in conjunction, I think, with National Geographic helps with it as well. But uh, it looks like it's going through some sort of management changes (laughs) right now, but uh, you can still get involved. They have local chapters across the country. So we'll talk about that a little more as we go along, but just FYI for anybody who who might be getting interested after listening tonight. I have, like I said, also done this through the Southwest Florida Amphibian Monitoring Network. So you may have some other options depending on where you live too. And for those of you outside of the United States, look into it. You may have something of your own as well. I did find that Australia has a program called Frog ID as another cool citizen science program there. So I want to talk a little bit about what I've done here through Frog Watch and the Amphibian Monitoring Network and a little bit about kind of what Australia does as well. Casey, have you ever done any citizen science for frogs?
0: I have not done frog watch, but when I was an intern at the Philadelphia zoo, they supported research in Puerto Rico on frogs. And this is literally how they were trying to find new species is they were recording frog calls throughout the night. And then we had like a whole like key of different frogs that we knew existed in the area. And so you'd listen to like a three second clip and you'd hear something and then you'd have to compare it to everything. And then you'd have to be like... At this time period, there was a rooster crowing. And at this time period, wow. I think it was this. And then like we, we weren't professionally trained and sure. I think I was bad at it, but they, you know, having a sample size of interns, multiple of us looking at the same data, it was trying to identify what frogs were in the area. And then if there was an unknown call, you could like put that in and then they would try and identify because they're still finding frog species like all the time. I mean, you said like there's thousands of them. There's based on those numbers, looks like there's more species of frogs than there are mammals, which is, wild. Yes. <laughs> so I think Andrew's gone to conferences with people who are like, Oh yeah, I've discovered like three species of frogs in South America. Like they're everywhere. No big deal. So no big deal. But like to say that this is relevant to science that you could help with both population studies and in certain parts of the world, identify different things because like the copes tree frog versus the gray tree frog, for mm-hmm. example, we had one at our last job together in nebulous and he was very, very cute. He lives at our nature center, but they look exactly the same, but they are considered different species because they have different calls. So yeah. like, y- it's not just looking at them. It's not just finding them. It's listening.
1: Yeah. And that's what you just shared is really cool. Cause that's now that that's, we'll have three ways now that citizen science is being used with broad calls. Cause that, so you were listening to recordings and you were identifying things in a recording as an intern. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's really cool. What we do in, so I have done, I've gone through a couple of frog watch trainings and it has been several years ago now. So things may have changed. I tried so hard to find my old folder of frog watch stuff. It's still in a box somewhere. I can't, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I know that I have it. I'll probably find it next week or something, but, uh, but I couldn't turn it up in time for, for this recording. So, but I've done the training for that. I actually have not submitted data. Through Frog okay. Watch, but we did submit data through the Southwest Florida Amphibian Monitoring Network, and they are basically done the same way. So, the way that those programs worked is that we would go to a training. So, we would go and get trained by a coordinator who would talk us through. So, we would get some basic overview about frogs and toads and their habitat and why we're doing this, why this is important. And then you would go through the frogs and toads that are found in your area. And then they would play the sounds for you and go through kind of descriptions of those sounds. You would write down descriptions of the common frogs and toads. Uh, and then once you've completed the training, you would go out and they have forms that you would record. So you would go to a specified location, listen for a set amount of time, and uh, then you would record what you heard, you would also record kind of the weather conditions as well. And then you would submit that data to the coordinators and they would kind of compile everything from there. So that's how that worked. The one that I was reading about in Australia, that frog ID program, I thought was really cool because what folks are doing with that one is they have an app and they will actually go out. And again, it's, I, I actually can't remember if it's set Places, or if they can just go wherever, but they will record the frogs. Once they start hearing frogs, they submit a recording, and then the recordings are actually listened to and sorted through by professionals. And that's how that's done. I thought that was really cool because as you're sitting here listening to this, you might be thinking, I mean, sure, it sounds like a cool way to get involved, but like, people are going to mess it up because we don't know what we're doing. Uh, And that is a potential challenge when it comes to citizen science. Uh, But usually there are some safeguards in place to help protect the quality of the data as much as possible, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. So what I thought was cool about that Australia one is that, okay, you're getting people to sort of be the foot soldiers to go out and get this data. But rather than having them do any of the analyzing, we're going to send that off to the professionals to analyze. And that sounded really cool. But if you go to the website for this program, it talks about how they have like a backlog of like 30,000 submissions Whoa. or something like that. That might not be the right number, but uh, but they do say that they have a, a lot a backlog of data. Um, so that's the trouble with that. Yeah. And again, that's the benefit of, Citizen science and getting a lot of lower trained people to kind of do some of this ID work for you. Now, Casey, like you said, when you were doing it, you had multiple people listening to the same data. Right. Right. So that's one uh, kind of safety measure, I guess you could say, that you could put in place. For Frog Watch, we, you do have training. So there is a standardized training that you have to go through. I want to say back when I did it that like once you completed the training, you could go be a volunteer and record and submit data. But you could also go another step and get like verified or certified or something like okay. that by taking a test. So you could actually take a test on identifying your fraud calls, and then your your data would be noted with that. So once you submit your data, it would be evident that you had a little bit of a higher training. Um, I don't know if that is still something they do or not, or if that's exactly how it worked, but that idea of having a standardized training and having some sort of testing procedure is another way that you can kind of help ensure the quality of the data that you're getting. And then I think just the value of having a standardized procedure helps as well. So there was a standard form that every volunteer would go out. You knew these were the things you had to record. These were the things that you had to do. Um, and so I think those things, even if your call ID isn't going to be accurate 100% of the time, you still know that this person is going out there where they're supposed to be. They are hearing something. <laughs> they're hearing frog calls of some kind or they're not. Um, so I think that there is still some some value to that, even though there is a trade off there, you know, that there's a little bit of a quality for quantity trade off, I think, when you're doing um, these citizen science things. Uh, and that's probably something that needs to be studied a little bit more, too. But I will say, just as somebody who's done it personally, too, I think, in addition to the value of the data that we're collecting and you know the idea that there's just so much out there and scientists don't have the time or the funds to collect all of the data that they need i think it is really beneficial in terms of just helping people get out there and get connected to nature so i'm all for it i i love the idea of frog watch and citizen science like this the data does get used as well i found an article uh, again from australia that this, this was specific, I was looking specific to frog data. Um, and this was a study from 2015. and the title is Citizen Science Program shows that urban areas have lower occurrence of frog species, but not accelerated declines. So they used this, I think it was like a 13 year data set of accumulated from uh, people going out and recording. Frog Sounds to put together this article. That's really important to know how, like we talked about cities a couple of weeks ago, and it's really important to know how our growing cities are going to be impacting our frog populations. So I think that it's important and it's fun to do as well.
0: Yeah. And we've talked about, um, some of the challenges that scientists face in collecting data. And one of those is long-term funding. So it's cool that when you have these long-standing programs that, um, people feel involved in the science, but also that it doesn't require as much of like that person to write a research grant for studying a frog species over the course of 10 years. Like it's, uh, it's a great way to work around some of the limitations, even if it has its own challenges. Yeah, um, I do wonder, like sometimes I think about those pictures you see in the news where they're like local neighbors thought they saw a mountain lion, but maybe right. it was <laughs> just a large house cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do. Yeah. Worry about things like that, <laughs> but yeah, that's when you hope that you have enough of the sample and the right training that you can eliminate some of those things. But honestly, sometimes I look at those pictures and I'm like, is it a mountain? It line? does look
1: like a mountain lion.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the scale on this? So, yeah. um and i will also say that even though i was i think pretty bad uh, at the puerto rico study i have a lot more frogs in their area that they were studying we had a list of like probably 24 frogs that I had to constantly go back and play and i think if i did it frequently enough i would be like oh i know exactly what a chicken frog or whatever sounds like but i have to like keep going back because i have no memory of what it was yeah
1: I did have to do that as well when I was doing this. And you. so that is, let's talk about that real quick. So there's typically a frog watch season. Again, even if you're not doing the official frog watch program, if you're going to go out and ID frog calls, there's typically a season. Again, in this part of the world, uh, I, I want to say it's usually like... February through August or something like that. Getting into the warmer spring and summer months is when you're targeting it. And what you'll do is you'll typically go out at night, After dark, and you're typically going to want to go to a site that's not too far from a waterway and listen to these sounds. And uh, like we were saying, that the reason that we're doing sounds is not just because it would be difficult to visualize frogs in the nighttime, but because you can identify these species specifically by their sounds, which is super cool. When you're a kid and you learn what frogs say, you say they say ribbit. It's not true. Frogs make all kinds of different sounds um, as you're going to hear. And Casey, why do frogs make sounds? Why are we hearing them call at night near these watery areas?
0: They're looking for ladies. They're looking for ladies. It's usually
1: male frogs that are calling. My understanding, in case you can correct me if you know if I'm wrong, I think that female frogs can make sounds and do occasionally make sounds.
0: I think I'm sure there's some species where it's like much more common where mm-hmm. it might be like a mutual call, but and I like I couldn't tell you if like lady frogs are like, I'm looking for the loudest call or I'm looking for the deepest yeah. call or the it's like they know what they're looking for. Yep. <laughs> and and those males are generally in competition with each other across that waterway. So the female has the selection and you know theoretically this tells the female something about the fitness of her partner to be able to successfully have lots and lots and lots of babies because frogs lay a bunch of eggs
1: (laughs) yes and so frog watch season is typically going to be during breeding season where these males are calling and typically it's going to be near water and it doesn't i'm not saying you have to live near a lake or something like that if there's a retention pond or whatever like i said i used to go find toads in window wells so uh, but they do typically call near a water source because that's where those females are going to want to lay their eggs for those tadpoles to hatch out Um, so that's what we're doing when we go out and listen I thought it would be fun to try it tonight. So I have a game for Casey. That was going to be a lot more fun
0: before she rattled off all of those frogs names that she, <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be good at it. I'm, <laughs> I'm marrying a herpetology guy. So he's the one being like, Oh, Oh, uh, like, it's this species, and I'm yeah. like, oh yes, I definitely know what we're talking about. So we'll see. I I refuse to um commit to that high level of expectation. Well, d- no, <laughs> wait. we're gonna do it a, a little
1: bit differently tonight than what okay. you would actually do. I I told Casey earlier that I, this is kind of like the frog version of the telephone game you know, where you have one person like whisper a phrase down the line and then the person has to guess. Because rather than do what we would do at a training, which is we would go through together, we would play individual frog calls, write down descriptions of what we think they sound like together. And then we would go and try to kind of like quiz ourselves and go back and listen and see if we could identify. I am going to read my descriptions of what I think a few frog calls sound like for Casey, and then I'm going to play said frog calls, and we're going to see how many Casey can identify based on my terrible descriptions of what these frogs sound like. Also note that typically if you go to a frog watch training, they're going to have a nice like CD of clean, like no background noise, calls to play for you so you can really hear. I'm a little bit limited to what I could find online that I felt like was shareable because I don't want to be stealing other people's uh, sounds here. So my calls that we're going to play tonight are not going to be as uh, as pristine as what you would normally get in a training. But there are lots of resources available online if you're interested in listening to some frog calls. Okay. So I got to pull up my other sheet here, Casey. All right. So I'm going to give you the name of the frog and okay. then what my description of the call is. And then later when we play the sounds, you'll have to come up with what name.
0: Are you going to give me your impression or are you? No, heck to... no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. It was worth a try.
1: Uh. All right. So And I did try to go with frogs that you can find in Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. As far as
1: I could tell. Although this first one I'm going to say, I'm going to fudge a little bit because there are different species of this frog, but I'm just going to go generally with cricket frog. Okay. Okay. So cricket frog sounds like marbles hitting together. Oh, And I should say, too, that some of these are kind of standard descriptions. Like, if you go to a training, like, this is kind of what people say they sound like. Some of these are just things that I think that they sound like, and you'll probably be able to tell which ones are which.
0: I mean, Marvel's clicking, like, it's like a tink, tink, something like that. We'll find out. I'm sorry. That's my impression. There there we go. go. So Marvel's sitting together. That's Cricket Frog. Next one is
1: American Bullfrog, which I'm guessing you've heard. Uh, American bullfrog sounds like the lightsaber sound effect. (laughs) If
0: you've ever watched. Amazing. American
1: bullfrog sounds like the lightsaber.
0: My dad and his uncle, not to veer off of this, but like, um, there's a, you know, in frogs are a little bit cultural in the United States. My, my dad and his brothers would eat frog legs growing up. So like, yeah, this is also like something your family might interact with as a food resource, Um, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in some communities. I mean, they all sorts of stuff around here, but this was just in their backyard. So, um, but that reminded me because my dad has nightmares of like revenge of a bullfrog. Um,
1: Uh, I was wondering, I was like, this is a good point, Casey. I have no idea what it has to do with lightsabers, but
0: okay, I got you. Not lightsabers, but bullfrogs. I,
1: I get, yeah, I'm there. Uh, okay. Spring peeper. Spring peeper. It's a high pitched cheeping sound. You would think it is a bird if you heard it.
0: Except it's at night. So you're like, what is, right. is these birds all doing?
1: Northern leopard frog sounds like rubbing a wet balloon. Also can sound a little bit creepy. Okay. Okay. Are you writing these down, or are you just gonna remember all these? No, I'm just gonna try
0: and remember them. I'm going on hard mode.
1: Wow, this is like extra hard mode. Uh, Western chorus frog sounds like if you were to take your thumb and run your thumb down the teeth of a comb. Okay, I might write that one
0: down. Teeth of a comb.
1: If you were in an actual frog watch training, you would be right. I'd
0: be taking copious notes. Exactly.
1: The wood frog. We've talked about the wood frog before. This is the frog that can withstand sub zero temperatures and like basically produces its own antifreeze out of sugar. It sounds kind of like a chicken clucking, or like, again, I would say kind of a creepy laughing sound. <laughs> okay. Last but not least is the northern green frog. Casey, have you ever played Donkey Kong? <laughs> in a long time ago. If you ever played the Donkey Kong? I don't remember which one it is, but the one where you can be the girl that has the hair, the long hair that spins around in a circle. You're not no. going to get my reference for oh, this, no. oh, but just for those anyway. of you listening who may have played this game and are going to know what I'm talking about, if you played the Donkey Kong video game where you have the, the parrot that will sometimes carry you or sometimes you turn into the parrot and it like spits Things at your enemies when it would spit whatever it's spitting. I don't even know what it what it was, but it would spit these things onto the bees in Donkey Kong, the spiky bees. (laughs) The sound that it would make when it hits the bees is what a northern green frog sounds like. Casey. I guess we're gonna process of
0: elimination this (laughs) one.
1: After this, I'm going to need you to look up
0: that sound and tell me
1: I'm not wrong on that. (laughs) Donkey Kong parrot spitting on the bees is what the northern green frog sounds like. All right. So that was, what was that? That was seven sounds. And now we're going to test my technological ability to play these sounds in no particular order for you. Frog number one. All right. Do we want to go? Am I guessing or? I don't don't know. uh... What do you?
0: What do? Should we have you write them down? I'll write them down. I'll write them down, and then uh, everybody else write them down too, and let us know what you got.
1: All right, frog.
0: Number two. I like your description for that one. I know what that is and I (laughs) like the description on that one.
1: I'm glad to hear it. All right. Frog number three.
0: Did you ever have one of those toys where you like ran the um, little peg over the back of a frog that was like all yes? Funky? That's what that sounded like to me.
1: See, and if you were in a frog watch training, that's what you would write down when you were listening. That was number four. And again, you might have heard some other background sounds there. Just adds to the challenge. Number
0: five.
1: Two more. Let me specify in this one. Sorry, I'll play this one again. You're going to listen. You're hearing some high-pitched noises in the background. That's not what you're listening for. You're going to be listening for a more lower-pitched sound that sounds a little bit closer. And last but not least.
0: Frogs are weird. <laughs> it's so cool though, right? To hear the cool, variety.
1: Yeah. And I will say the my Favorite frog sound that I learned is is not one that's up in your area, I don't think anyway. Um, It's not one that that I came across when I was looking. Is the pig frog, which sounds like
0: it's like exactly like like a
1: pig, and it's a tiny frog, and it sounds like it's humongous.
0: Cool, I love it. Also, if you haven't in a while, you should look up a video of a frog making these noises because their little throat thingies are crazy.
1: True. Yeah. We didn't even really talk about that kind of that adaptation and how they actually go about making their noises. But, um, all right, let's see Casey, how you did. What did you have for number one?
0: Number one, I had spring peeper. Woo! Woo! Okay. Cool. 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 One for that one. I was like, I feel like I know what they are, but yeah. Okay. Cool. cool yeah. Cool.
1: Off to a good start. Uh, what about number two? Bullfrog. Tell me that doesn't sound like a lightsaber. It does.
0: I've never heard it described that way. Obviously bullfrog it's because they sound like cows and that's how I've, it's always been described to me, but yes, the like just the, you can feel them unsheathing the lightsaber every time. Yeah.
1: All right. We're two for two. What did you have for number three?
0: Number three. I had chorus frog. Good job. I think I would have never gotten like If I was writing down my own descriptions, I wouldn't have gotten that, but that teeth of a comb description Mm -hmm. is spot on.
1: Yeah. And I do, I think that was one that was told to us. The other thing guys to mention that they, they talk about in training too, is that the temperature outside can change the way that a frog's call sounds. So it can speed up or slow down or be, you know, the pitch can change depending on, on temperature too. So that Adds into it, so there were sometimes they would play that call, and I would be like, "Oh my gosh, it sounds exactly like that." And other times, I would be like, "Is that what it sounds like?" So, um, just to add to the add to the fun and challenge, but
0: like me being like, "What
1: does the sound of the bees make in <laughs> Donkey Kong?" <laughs> I may have given that one away if you could see my face because I just every it's such every time I uh, hear that it uh, that's, that's what I think of, but uh, okay. So we had number three was the Western chorus frog number four.
0: Cricket frog.
1: Cricket frog, yeah. Which again, that one in that particular recording is, is spot on for me in terms of the marbles hitting together. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that can change the way that this sounds that can confuse you a little bit is A, the backer. Like oftentimes you're going to hear multiple species of frogs calling on top of each other. And um, so that can get confusing, but also the number of frogs calling. And that's another thing that you have to identify. Are you hearing an individual frog call or are you hearing a chorus? of frogs like i think five or more is is what they'll say for that and that can change cuz sometimes if you're getting all of those marble sounds overlapping it sort of morphs in your brain and you're like oh is this marble hitting together or is this a high pitched cheeping i don't know are these <laughs> spring peepers is it a cricket frog is it a chorus frog like all of those things um but yes you are exactly spot on batting a thousand right now um i'm feeling feeling really good about your odds from from here on out so what mm, this we- is where it
0: gets sketchy okay
1: okay what did, what did you have for number five
0: i had leopard frog oh no no <laughs> I, I was like you. creepy laugh right i That's jinxed it? you you did you did it got no sketchy at the number
1: five is the northern green frog this is the parrot spitting on the bee okay <laughs> So yeah, you know, I I'll send you, I'll send you a video.
0: You got it. Yeah.
1: Um. Okay. So then what did you have for six? Green frog. Okay. So you, you flip flop. Okay, cool, 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 yep. Cool. So the Northern leopard frog uh, is number six. That's the rubbing on a wet balloon is kind of the standard description, mm-hmm. but again, is one that I do as I recall call i think is one that can really change based on the temperature uh, as well so sometimes that sound will come across more clearly and that was obviously a little bit of a rougher audio clip to identify too and then what's our last one number seven the chicken frog yeah the, the chicken frog the the wood frog clucking like a chicken um I, that also i feel like sounds a little bit creepy to like a sort of a a creepy chuckle. It is. That's when I was like,
0: "Is that a laugh too?" Yeah, yeah. I literally wrote chicken frog, which is I'm positive another species of frog, but no, it's the wood frog that sounds like a chicken. Yes. <laughs> Great job, Casey. You did so well. I did pretty good, pretty I swapped these two of them. That's
1: okay, though. uh Again, you were going off of my description and a sound effect that you were not at all familiar with <laughs> i was
0: sure not but listeners if you played along let me know how you did see if you beat me
1: yeah absolutely uh, tell tell us how you did that's basically it guys that's what i have for you hopefully you found that interesting hearing all of those different frog calls uh, again that is frogs that i looked up that you can find in pennsylvania although some of the, a lot of those you can also find down here in Florida. So depending on where you live, you might recognize some of those things as well. I did want to mention too that the frog sounds that I played, those recordings, all came from uh, the USGS. So uh, USGS.gov got those sound files from there. But there are a lot of great resources on the internet, I'd looked up paherps.com. I think Casey is where I was looking up frogs and toads uh, found up there in your neck of the woods. Um, So a quick Google search might find some good info on frogs for you and some good sounds to listen to that might help you complete your challenge for the week, which we'll talk about when we come back. Casey,
0: anything to add before we wrap up? I mentioned this, I think in our like, first podcast episode when I did a review of herping so if you've been listening for a while you know that this podcast used to include reviews and then we had really really long episodes so um I talked about how like this is a really good entry point for people who want to get into nature and as Sarah said like frogs are found everywhere they're super accessible pieces of Nature, So this is something you can do at all ages. You can go out, listen. Actually, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go sit outside in the woods tonight. And normally when I walk outside, all the frogs are like, and they stop calling for a couple minutes. And then if I'm just kind of sitting still, they all start going. So I'll try and record some of those sounds tonight. Um, And I hope that you guys will share some of your recordings as well, because frogs are everywhere and they're cool and you can help with science. So let's do it.
1: Yay, science. All right. Thanks, Casey, for participating in the game. Stick around, everybody. We will be right back with our challenges for this week. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this evening and listening to us talk about frogs and listening to some frog calls with us. We hope you enjoyed our little game. Let us know how you did if you played along. Uh, Your challenge, as you might expect for the week, is to go listen to some frog sounds, and you can get as in-depth with this uh, or not as you want to. I mentioned again in this part of the world, we're starting to get a little bit late into frog season, so you may not be able to go to a frog watch training at this time this year. But if it's something that you might be interested in, and I strongly suggest you at least look into it. The training was a lot of fun. I do hope to get involved uh, with it again next year, hopefully. But you can go to aza.org slash backslash. I actually don't know. What is that? Uh-huh. Whatever. Slash frog watch. Yeah, the normal slash She yeah, would put in a web address, uh, aza.org slash frog to learn a little bit about what they do. Again, it seems to be going through a bit of a strangest transitional phase here, but you uh, should still be able to get to the page to see if you have a local chapter. I will link directly to that page, to the, to the chapter list page in our show notes as well, if you want to look it up there. If you're not so much about necessarily Necessarily getting involved in the actual citizen science project right now, that's okay too. Like I said, there's a a wealth of info on the internet for you. Find some sample calls for frogs and toads that are in your area and pick an evening to just do it. Again, you might be able to just sit outside your back door and listen for some sounds or maybe take a little walk. You don't have to go after dark. You can go kind of in the dusk area. I I mean, I heard frogs calling during the day when I was out walking my dog the other day. You're just going to hear more if you're... Uh, out more in the evening time, but schedule yourself a time to take a few minutes. And like Casey said, give it a few minutes. It's usually a good idea to go somewhere, sit for a couple minutes. That is actually the standard for what you do when you're recording for a frog wash or whatever project that you're working with is that you will go to your spot. You will stand, you will be ready. You'll record your data and you will just stand still for two minutes And then you will restart your recording time and you will record for three minutes. And that's kind of that acclimation phase to let those frogs get used to it. Okay. Like there's nothing moving around over there anymore. So schedule yourself a time. Uh, If you hear frogs, see if you can identify it based on the recordings that you listened to. And also take a video. If you hear some frog sounds, take a video, post it, tag us in it we can all play along and see if we can identify the frogs that you're listening to as well. So all sorts of level of challenge, however deep you want to get into it, to learn a little bit about the frogs and toads
0: near you. Well, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for bringing a little awareness to some very cool species. Um, and you guys should get out there. I was looking to see if they, Frog Watch had an Instagram page. They don't, but Frog Watch India does. So it's out there, cool. guys. Whatever country you're listening from, but there's a frog organization.
1: And I should also mention, like it doesn't have Frog Watch is the, the one that I am perhaps most aware of and know is is across the United States at least. But there may be other organizations. You may have a local nature center or a park or whatever or something else in your area that that does this as well, something something similar. So whatever you can find, just see what's out there.
0: Do it. Sarah, where can the good folks find us?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you would like to find us, if you want to share all your cool frog audio and video with us, you can find us on Facebook at a little greener podcast. You can find us on Instagram at a little greener pod. You can find us on Twitter at a greener podcast, and you can send us an email uh, at a little greener podcast at gmail.com for whatever you can send us your videos. You can send us your comments, your questions, your uh, episode, topic suggestions, whatever you like.
0: And uh we appreciate it. Tell us your frog stories. Tell us know. all
1: your frog stories. I thought you were just out asking me to tell you my frog story, and I was like,
0: do, do I have one? <laughs> <laughs> like I what we just, we just did. talked about it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a lot of frog story. Uh yeah. Well, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.